0: Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Chuck DeGroat. And uh, welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for your time. Uh, Chuck is a committed. Chuck is committed to the spiritual and emotional formation for the sake of mission. His experience is represented in a fluid combination of pastoral ministry and seminary training for twenty years. He's served several church plans as teaching pastor and has started two church-based clinical counseling centers. Most recently, he was teaching pastor at City Church, San Francisco, where he co-founded the New Begin House of Studies, an urban and missional training center with offerings through Western Theological Seminary. So uh, welcome and thanks for being here. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what would you like our listeners to know about yourself?
1: Yeah, so uh, I am I've been in seminary education now for the last seven years, and that's been that's been interesting. You're a pastor, so you know, you know what it's like uh, to make or maybe you don't know what it's like to make a job from pastoring kind of like uh, people use the sports analogy sometimes going from being on the field to commenting about what's happening on the field. Right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's been an interesting, it's been a really interesting last seven years of being in this space after being a pastor for about 15 years. Um, but it, also, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I think one of the things I like about what you do is the church is changing. Ministry is changing. Yeah. Um, I was educated back in the mid-1990s, and, and some of the realities we were talking about back then are, don't really apply to where we are today. And So, um, so I, I'm really enjoying at, at 50 now uh remaining tuned in to to kind of what's happening on the ground my friends who are church planters and pastors while at the same time doing some of the kind of reflection that i do a theological reflection on a seminary level so that's fun i'm a therapist i'm a writer i get to do a lot of really fun things i guess
0: yeah that's great um what has it meant or what is yeah, I like to believe that we all change and, and grow as people, as human yeah. beings, and hopefully, I think as Christians, yeah. uh, what has it meant for you to be a Christian in the past, and has anything changed or developed during your life during those fifty years for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think I was probably a pretty uh, narrowly thinking tribal Christian back in the day. I was a yeah. young, angry, reformed seminary student who, you know, this is pretty amazing to say, but I I like I um i was really certain i really knew my theology back then like i could teach the trinity and really thought i knew what i was talking about yeah i could teach on atonement and actually really i mean um it's almost kind of embarrassing to say uh i i feel like i know far less now than i knew back in the mid-1990s in seminary Hmm. but i i think there's been this um journey of unknowing uh to get Mm -hmm. a kind of um the thought of the mystics and meister eckhart and this journey of of, um, uh, I, I guess honoring the questions um, mm-hmm. more than touting the answers that I have, and so I would hope that now I'm I'm a more humble and curious person than I was, and and, and i still remain convicted about certain things, but I hold my convictions with open hands.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I can I ask about what does that look like uh, to have convictions but hold them with open
1: hands? Yeah, I mean, so I I think that. I think that when I was uh, younger, uh, there was this sense that if you don't believe what I believe, I'm not entirely sure that you're not going to spend eternity in hell. (laughs) Hmm. That's kind of where that was the camp that I was in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, God, before the foundation of the world, elected, you know, 99.7% um, 99.7 would go to eternal the eternal flames, and the other 0.3% were elect, right? And so that was sort of yeah. my theology, and so chances are you are probably not among the elect, uh, right? You know, sad for you, Lauren. That um, you,
0: yeah, I don't like that math because when I was younger, I, I gave at least 10% were going to heaven.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's generous of you, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I it, it's hard to say. I mean, I I just think uh there's something about growing up, uh, and for me in, in my work as a therapist, and that's a long story in and of itself uh, about what mm-hmm. shifted for me while I was in seminary, but becoming a therapist and sitting with people, hearing their stories, uh, reading more broadly, understanding more broadly, um, uh, allowed me to ask bigger questions and open my mind to a, a sort of a wider range of theological and biblical perspectives. And so, um, Yeah. What does it look like to live with open handedness? Well, I think it means having convictions, but having convictions with a sense that I may be wrong. And I'm willing to listen to you because your experience and your thinking might offer me something that I've never considered before.
0: I love that. Um, I love that. Just the thought of the idea of willingness to say I may be wrong. I think as I've grown myself and come a long way in my faith, I think that's one thing I've really wished for folks who like I'm fine being in a relationship with folks who are more conservative with me. Like my wish would be just having the ability to say, like, hey, this is what I believe but I may be wrong and I'm I can I can live with that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm also thinking of the analogy just of that mental imagery of the open hand versus like what we often do with theology is squeeze so tightly Yes. and it I, seems like when the tighter we squeeze, the more slips out.
1: Yeah. I like that. There's a really wonderful book on prayer by Henry Nowlin called with open hands. And, hmm. and that's, that's kind of where I draw that from this idea that we live life with a high degree of control with clenched fists and, mm-hmm. and control is often seen in and through our theological certainty and dogmatism. And, um, and I, I, I do think it's, it's sad sometimes when I see people who are my age or older, and um, in the midst of their failures and the crises of life, and even coming to places where they're, they, maybe they had an opportunity to be humbled, they double down.
0: Yeah. And I've yeah. I had
1: moments like that too, where it's like, gosh, if I let go here, I'm going to lose control. But I, I think that that's kind of part and parcel of becoming a mature Christian is relinquishing control over time. Uh, and so and then we become lifelong learners, uh, lifelong people who exercise curiosity.
0: Boy, you're bringing up so many questions, but I want to save that for your the main segment here. Yeah. Um, what are some spiritual practices you've developed over the years or might recommend others?
1: Yeah, I think pretty early on, I, uh, I think probably some of my own growth is attributed to understanding better and learning about the contemplative tradition, uh, reading mm, the mystics. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it it was my exposure to contemplative spirituality that first, uh, led me in the direction of, of an embrace of silence and solitude through that centering prayer, contemplative prayer, people call it different things. And so, uh, contemplative prayer has been a significant part of my practice. Um, uh, I, I love to find a good labyrinth and walk a labyrinth. I'm also not afraid at all of meditative practices and mindfulness practices. I've got the Calm app on my phone. Um, a good body scan every, every day is really, really helpful. Uh, so, um, so things like that have been super helpful.
0: What does the body scan look like, if I can ask?
1: Yeah, so a body scan is simply a sort of practice that uh, you can walk through yourself as you internalize it of, of uh, breathing, attending to your mm-hmm. breath, And then um, attending to different parts of your body, beginning at the top of your head, all the way down to your toes. And so you might feel the top of your head and then you'll move to feeling your forehead. And then you might feel your jaw and mouth and your neck and back of your neck, your shoulders. And you just kind of work your way all the way down. And a good body scan is a slow practice of about 20 minutes and it feels as if you've gotten a full body, hour-long full body massage when you're done. It's a, wow. it's a beautiful practice of of um, embodiment when mm-hmm. so many of us live in our heads. You know, I, I live mm-hmm. in the seminary world now, so it's easy to kind of live up in your head and be disembodied yeah. and unrelational.
0: Yeah, I know, uh, I think I match the most closely with the Enneagram 5. Yeah. So that's, I think I was listening to one of your pods where you talked to someone through the, inter- the Enneagram, and that's like, that's so true for me. It's just to be mm-hmm. stuck in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And uh boy, especially during this time of high anxiety, yeah. um we're recording this early October, the election season is nigh. Yeah. COVID seems to be coming back up again. Yeah. Um this it's so hard to be kind of um detached from really what's going on and our bodies yeah. at least for me kind of bear the brunt of the anxiety. That's, in our heads. That's right. I, I can see how that practice would be a great practice yeah. to kind of get us out of our head.
1: Out of our head, back in our body, or out of our the limbic system of our brain where the yeah. anxiety center of our brain into that central space, prefrontal cortex, where we could be more centered so that once you know, your, your Aunt Nelly writes something on Facebook, you don't write a <laughs> paragraph back, right? So,
0: yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I did that the other day. I'll confess <laughs> <laughs> enough about me and my faults. Let's talk about your book. So, yeah. um, uh, Chuck wrote a, a really interesting book when narcissism comes to church, what's the full title?
1: Uh, sh- <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> now I don't remember healing your community from spiritual and emotional abuse, I think might be the yeah. title. There yeah. you go.
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, who was the book meant for?
1: Oh, good question. Well, so originally um, it goes back to a conversation I had with a friend of mine in ministry who, when I was doing some consulting for a larger church, said, "Hey, we need a, we just need a good book that's like a diagnostic about how narcissism shows up in the church." And mm-hmm. between all of our searching, we couldn't find anything. Um, And so when I thought, when I was writing, I was thinking about my friend and I was thinking about other staff members, um, people in in churches where they're experiencing narcissism or abuse, giving them some categories for it. Yeah. I think as I developed it, one of the things I often say now is, it's for anyone who experiences these dynamics and asks themselves the question, am I crazy? Hmm. Uh, Anyone who thinks as they're experiencing this, it must be me because look at him. He has spiritual authority and he's so smart and he's grown the church so huge yeah it's gotta be yeah. me it can't be him because he's you know he's he's exemplifies so much fruit and goodness and power and authority and all that
0: yeah that's great yeah. um one thing i've heard you talk about in other podcasts is the way that shame and narcissism is related and this really kind of blew my mind because like when you think about a a narcissist, you think about someone—at least I do—that's kind of full of themselves, uber confident, you know, just just brimming over with, uh, you know, feeling good about themselves. And it yeah. sounds like that's not the case.
1: Yeah, and this is this is a part of the book that I think is harder if you've experienced narcissistic abuse, um, because it humanizes, frankly, it kind of humanizes uh, the narcissistic yeah. leader. But I think it's important, nevertheless, because when when we often what we often see with the narcissistic leader is power um the abuse of power and authority and what people don't realize is that they've become that bully they've become that powerful bully in part they've become that grandiose personality in part uh because there is a story of profound shame insecurity Hmm. inadequacy and and almost invariably and this is just kind of traces back to this really good psychology that developed around narcissism and the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, almost invariably, there's this story of abuse, shame, bullying, inadequacy, insecurity, where, as you get to know their stories, if, if you have someone who really opens up, and I've been working with narcissists for about 20 years now, and I've had a number of them share their stories. Uh, it's profoundly painful. And it's not like one morning, they they wake up and they say, Well, I'm going to become a narcissist. It's <laughs> kind of like, they experience yeah. this at seven, eight, nine years old, maybe earlier. And unconsciously they end up developing d- defenses and they become like mm-hmm. a um, kind of a well-defended bully uh, that you see it now 40 45 50 years old
0: yeah I, I want to go back to to that point you made about it being hard to humanize kind of our enemy maybe that's too strong a word but in many ways that's kind of what we're seeing right now um, especially in this political divide yeah. I think we find ourselves in is this unwillingness to humanize the other yeah. especially our our antagonist mm-hmm. um do you mind kind of kind of talk through if you don't mind like what that does to the person who does kind of the empathizing or yeah. the humanizing of the other how that helps us grow
1: yeah i mean it sometimes it takes a while to get there right because i yeah, think for yeah. most of us who've experienced trauma the last thing you want to do the last thing i would want to do for one of my clients for instance who's experienced trauma or abuse to say well let's humanize your abuser right yeah yeah but i do think if you can get there if you can sort of work through that and get to this place where you uh you know you're able to be a bit more open-handed to go back to our metaphor from earlier yeah um you might begin to see that 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 person has a story of pain too that hmm. person has been traumatized too. hurt people hurt people right or, yeah, or yeah. those who don't transform their pain, transmit it. And so you begin to realize that that's a human being full of fear, full of longing. I I think for just kind of your average everyday antagonists, I think it's helpful to realize that even those who disagree or differ politically in significant ways, there's often for them a a lot of fear, a lot of longing. There's stuff that's going on inside of them that's just similar to you. It's just coming out in a different way it's it's emerging as a different kind of perspective on life and on politics but uh that person is nevertheless a person who like you wakes up in the morning with certain fears and anxieties they have a longing about the way they want the world to be they just want to get there in a different way than you yeah i
0: remember i'll try to not name names but mm-hmm. <laughs> probably be obvious who i'm talking about i remember after this 2016 election uh, a woman I know, who's a counselor, just posted something on Facebook, kind of like speaking, like e- empathetically towards the the president, and kind of thinking about like imagining how much, how much pain must have been in his childhood, mm-hmm. um, how much isolation, and, and as these stories have kind of come out, um, recently, like what his aunt published a book and yeah, yeah, it was hard for me, and it's still hard for me even now to think in that way. But, boy, how much it would help! Yeah, um, to be able to think empathetically and to humanize yeah. the other. Yeah. Well, that's right. <laughs> as much as we could spend the whole time talking about politics, yeah, right. I didn't. I didn't bring you on here to do that. So I'm going yeah. to keep forcing that on you. Um, going back to narcissism in the church, and certainly all the things we see politically happen in the church. I think. As an aside, I think that's one of the things that's most shocking for for new people to church, especially when they get into the higher ranks and leadership of church, is they kind of think, "Wait a minute, this happens in in my business world and my family. So I didn't expect it to happen in the church." Mm-hmm. Like, can, talk about that if if you can. Like, why is it that church isn't isolated? You know, isn't really yeah. this kind of isolated environment that where everything is perfect?
1: Yeah, that's that's so tricky. I mean, I think more and more as as I uh, as I'm wrestling with that. I'm, I'm uh, looking at it more historically, like people Mm. say, is this narcissism thing, a new thing? And I'll say, well, you know, I, I think it probably goes back to Genesis, right? I think it probably goes back to, I mean, you see it all throughout scripture and in the stories. Um, But I, but I also see this um, moment in the fourth century where empire and followers of Jesus forged uh, a relationship with one another, you know, Constantine looks into the sky, he sees the sign of the cross. Yep. He sees the words "in this sign conquer," mm-hmm. Which is really antithetical to the way of Jesus, right? Yeah. And yet, um, he sees the infrastructure of bishops and priests and popes as um, helpful to his his larger cause. And um, I, I think that we've we've got to look uh, reflectively at our um, problematic relationship with power, empire. Uh, I, I think narcissism fuels white supremacy. I think narcissism fuels colonialism. I think narcissism fuels any movement of grandiosity, um, racism, wow. systemic racism. So I, I think this is not just a kind of contemporary megachurch evangelical problem. This is kind of a pervasive problem that uh, goes way, way back.
0: Wow, that's that's good. Um. Uh, yeah. Now, I've, now I feel bad. I'm going to ask you a narrow question about <laughs> making churches and, yeah. and evangelicalism. But, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating how you talk about how these have so much bigger uh, impacts. But uh, the idea of the a leader doubling down is what it seems like in the past two, three, four years. What so often has happened, and certainly this is not unique to churches, um, and pastors. But talk about why do churches or, or why do pastors double down? Uh, it seems like all the time, whenever a pastor kind of gets called to the carpet yeah. for wrongdoing or misdeeds, it's just kind of like, it's a, yeah, unwillingness to to, yeah. to, to accept that. Can yeah. you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can talk about it. And I, I have personal experiences of, of working with churches and working with pastors who... Um, Some of them who have had higher profiles who I've watched live and in real time double down. And the simplest thing that I can tell your listeners is uh, it's terror. It's just like Mm. abject terror. I remember working with one pastor when we had a sort of a breakthrough uh, two-hour counseling session with one another. And um, I, I felt like in this session, he really owned some things from his past that had happened to him. He had yeah. like a baby for probably a full 45 minutes. And wow. I held him for part of the time. And there was this real sense of, like something was breaking. And it, we had a conversation about what that might mean and look like in the coming days and weeks. And um, we hugged and I was thankful. And the next time I saw him was about a week later. We had texted a little bit, but I remember he showed up and he was wearing, like he was really well dressed and he, he couldn't look me in the eye. And, um, he sat down and he looked at me and he said, that will not happen again. Wow. I will fight for my job. I will fight for like, basically th- that was it. And I think, I think he walked away from that moment and he thought that, that that's as vulnerable as I've been since the day I was abused. And wow, um, I will not open my heart up to being hurt again, being abused again. So this is where, again, to go back our, to our conversation about empathy, yeah, yeah. humanizing people who hurt others. Uh, it's hard, it's painful to do. It's hard to do, but, uh, you know, I've had those moments where I've seen this live and in real time Mm -hmm. and, and the easiest thing, the quickest thing, the the simplest thing I could tell your listener listeners is they're terrified. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm thinking like bigger picture about that. And again, it tracks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's all they know, but, right? They, all they yeah. all they can do is go back and sort of recreate themselves as church planter 2.0 with new branding, yeah. new ministry, new whatever, you know? And
0: I've, I wonder if, like, even for the the pastor who's not next, necessarily like a clinical narcissist, like I think of folks, especially as I see it, like folks who seem to hang on too long. Mm-hmm um like yeah. is it is it even just a fear of like this is all i know yeah this I, I don't know who i am besides being a pastor yeah
1: i think it's somewhere in thomas merton where he talks about the false self becomes the only face we know um and i think that's it it's, it's like this this is the only me i know um the me mm-hmm. that control the me that has power the me who receives applause the me who leads meetings the me i can't you know i I remember reading years ago, probably 25 years ago, a uh, biography of Lyndon John, President Lyndon Johnson yeah. and how he yeah. died within just a few years of relinquishing power, and how he sort of whittled away in the absence of power. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe that was a seed for some of the work I've done more recently. But um, I think that there's something to say for that. When when these guys step away or step down, they can't fully let go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just seeing on Twitter like a couple hours ago some pastor being like. I hope I can find a happy medium between like never retiring or like retiring and saying like, Oh, it was all horrible. Like, you know, burn it all to the ground kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, as someone who's in church planning, passionate about church planning, I'm curious, like how does church planning relate to narcissism? Because I think as I see it, at least one of the challenges about church planning is it's so much personality driven yeah um to me it seems like it'd be really easy to just enable narcissist when for better or worse yeah church planning is kind of about like the pastor and usually his wife right mm-hmm. and them kind of being these like media these like kind of like ground level social media influencers yeah so talk about that if you would
1: yeah it's interesting it and may- maybe 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 I, I think I say a version of this in the book, but um, you think about the people who go to Bible college or seminary who become ordained, who become licensed, whatever it is, whatever pathway there is to, to ministry, who yeah. uh, get the MDiv degree, Master of Divinity, who master yeah. divinity, quote unquote, yeah. Right? Yeah. who are called reverend. Um, they're people who well, 90% of the general public is afraid to do public speaking. These are folks who generally like to do it yeah and then they, they 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 actually get up there and they say this is the word of the lord you know mm. and you think that takes a little bit of chutzpah i grew up on Long yeah. island so that's a yeah word I look, you know it takes t- 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 some some ego right um when i first started doing psychological assessments back in the early 2000s i was doing them at first with church planters and i was really disturbed i didn't have the nuancing that i have now but i i mean I think all of them back then were coming out in what we would call cluster B personality disorders, which is the narcissism spectrum, borderline histrionic antisocial. And, and so my, my initial sort of reading on that is they're all narcissists. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think if you've read the book, you know, that I'm more nuanced, there's a narcissistic spectrum. But I, I would say that of the psychological assessments I've done over the last probably 15, 16, 17 years, the the large, vast majority are in that cluster B set of personality disorders. So there is like you say, a kind of a personality. Yeah, um, they don't tend to be in the more dependent personality spectrum. In other words, right? Mm -hmm. These are people who have I have something to say, you know, these are people who have some sense of inspiration, influence, that doesn't mean I want to be clear about this, does that does not mean that uh, because because the large majority are in that cluster, that they're all pathological. Mm -hmm. Um, It does mean that there's a spectrum. And on that spectrum, what I often say is there's narcissistic personality disorder, but that's like having the flu. There are some people in the spectrum that just have the sniffles, that's narcissistic Mm -hmm. personality style. And then there are some that have the sniffles, but they also have the chronic cough. And that might be like narcissistic personality type. And that can be problematic. But when you get when you elevate all the way up to personality disorder, you're talking about someone who um, you see it in the grandiosity, the entitlement, the lack of empathy, the, the the debris field of pain. Like you know it when you see it. I walk into a church staff. I start doing some consulting. I start to hear the stories, and it's like you you all have been through war. There's trauma mm. in the room here, and wow. that's very different than just having a confident personality or the capacity to inspire, which are really probably really good attributes for a church planner.
0: Yeah, yeah. Trust me, I think about like. as as much as the church planner kind of persona gets a bad break so often, like I think about like, boy, those are really, I think I need to have more of that at times. And Mm -hmm. I kinda for me, at least growing up, it was like kind of like self-promotion was kind of frowned upon. And that kind of leads me to my my next question I want to ask you is like, I work in a, in a mainline Protestant tradition uh, where, and and this is often the case in in many mainline Protestant Mm -hmm. traditions where kind of that self-promotion yeah Uh, even even on a healthy level like you're talking about is really frowned upon Mm -hmm. and that kind of differentiation is kind of discouraged so much to the to the point where at least in my opinion like i I think many churches are almost allergic to Mm -hmm. leaders leaders in leadership yeah Uh, how how do you how would you advise like a, a like a pastor who wants to be a good leader yeah, doesn't want to become this kind of like grandiose person, but also is saying like, wait a minute, I. They're being accused of this, but they're like, I'm just trying to be be me, like be who God has called me to be.
1: Yeah, I think what's really interesting about that. So I teach at a seminary now that would be sort of a hybrid mainline Protestant slash evangelical yeah. revival over the last yeah. 15 years, not the political version of evangelical. <laughs> but, and, yeah. I see that, and, and what you're talking about, I think, is is right on. And it's almost, um, I'd almost want to say, well, on the one hand, it looks humble. You know, we're mm-hmm. not going to be leaders like that. I, right. I think it's sometimes almost shame and guilt based. Um, yeah, there, there's something about it where there's a there's a fear of stepping up, of stepping into leadership. There's a fear yeah. of, of gathering a group of people. So that I I I know because I'm in a denomination where it's a Big umbrella. We've got people as conservative as conservative can be, and as progressive as pro- progressive can be, mm-hmm. and and some of the more progressive folks are allergic to words like leadership. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And 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 um and so I, I I see this as an opportunity to kind of learn from from both sides. I'm like I, the the kind of leadership that we're skeptical of is the narcissistic leadership that we see mm-hmm. in these church plants that seem to kind of move away from. Traditions move away from accountability, and there's something to say for that. But I think the flip side is also a problem too. And and I remember I was I was teaching at a PCUSA seminary. I was teaching a class, and there were three people in the class. And um, I remember feeling like I was walking across the seminary camp, campus, and it was dead.
0: Uh-huh. And,
1: um, and so you see these these evangelical spaces that are big and growing and alive, but very arrogant and somewhat narcissistic. And you see these yeah. spaces. And I'm like, man, maybe we just need to be in more contact with one another and learn from one another, you know? Uh,
0: Yeah, that's a good start for sure. Mm -hmm. That's a good start for sure. I I know that one thing that I've noticed when I contrast like evangelical folks and mainline folks is like the evangelicals tend to have this like gospel of, as I say, this gospel of prosperity, like everything is working because just God is behind it all. Yes. That's why it's working. Yep and like i'm i'm working on an mba right now and i'm i just finished a class in marketing and i'm like well a lot of it's just good marketing let's be real like a lot of it's just good marketing yeah uh, and right. then and then like i like i'm in, in a lot of mainline spaces and it's kind of like woe is us we're yeah. suffering because we're, we're the we're the true stewards of the real gospel yes,
1: yes yes yeah i think i think you're right on and i i think that you know with both of them um there's uh, this this is where like i think you're you're facilitating a really nuanced conversation right now and i appreciate that because i think we tend to live in the binaries right yeah yeah and um and i, and I think for you being probably in a more mainline tr- tradition and yet learning from marketing it's like it's kind of easy to see some of that stuff and so yeah if we could maybe just have a bit more nuance and i i would love to see um, I would love to see some mainline leaders lead. I think we need them right now, you know, particularly mm-hmm. for such a time as this.
0: Yeah, well, this is great. Let's uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with our closing questions.
1: Hi there, my name is Brian Davis, and I'm the host of the podcast Chasing Sunday a show that talks to worship leaders and other church creatives about the pain, frustration, and joys they face as they work in the relentless world of producing art for churches 52 Sundays a year. It's a show about burning out and burning bright. Together we talk about how we can find a healthier and more creative alternative to chasing Sunday after Sunday. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: All right, we're back with Dr. Chuck DeGroat, and uh, so Dr. DeGroat, Chuck, uh, take these questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you were pope for a day, what would that day look like?
1: (laughs) If you were pope for a day, yeah. Well, we would close down Vatican City. Oh uh, wow! And we would we would uh, we would like shift all the money to the third world, you know, and you know, I don't know (laughs) that I don't know why that's the first thing that came to mind was. uh, there's
0: there's probably enough money to do some really plenty yeah, of good.
1: Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a fan of St. Francis. I know that's controversial for some, but I think St. Francis is actually, maybe he's not selling Vatican City, but he's he shifted thinking, let's just mm-hmm. say. Um, so, yeah, that was my first thought, for better or for worse, sell Vatican uh, City.
0: Let's go for it. So you want to sell it?
1: Yeah, like um, – yeah, maybe we make it into an amusement park. Disney would probably buy it, you know?
0: <laughs> Disney has the money. If anybody has the money, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. it's Disney. They, yeah. could just, they could just add that to, like, you know, Disney Plus has pretty much everything as it is. Do you have Disney Plus? I do, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm they a have everything. Mandalorian fan. Oh, the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched a few episodes with my wife. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure Disney has the money yeah uh, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life
1: yeah so I am uh, I think people who know me well know this about me but I fell in love with st. Teresa of Avila the great I yeah. call her the greatest 16th century reformer Wow each in a reformed seminary so uh, that can be controversial at times but she was a, re- a 16th century reformer in her own right within um, within the catholic church she's uh the the author of the interior castle mm-hmm. uh, but it's a lived spirituality i mean her her reform led to a kind of um what i call a monastery planting movement mm. uh, of reform monasteries and she is she was fierce she was the mentor to saint john of the cross who wrote the dark night of the soul yeah uh, i i'm a, a big fan of saint Teresa. yeah i was just
0: trying to think which uh book i'd read at hers i think it's the dark night of the soul um, yeah,
1: so that would be Saint John of the Cross. Maybe it's Interior Castle. Um, that's usually the one that most people gravitate toward—the Interior Castle.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. It was back in—I um, took this class in seminary, theology and autobiography. That, uh,
1: yeah,
0: and that we had to read some of her—yeah, her work. She's got, got really an
1: autobiography, good. *La Vida* or the—the the life of Saint Teresa.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that was it. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Anyway, it was it was I mean it's pretty powerful um and just kind of her like her experience, like her spirituality, I think uh for for folks who are were thoroughly for thoroughly like what's the word I'm looking for? Like enmeshed uh in <clears throat> post-enlightenment kind of thinking.
1: Yeah.
0: At least for me and I it, like I it was almost hard for me to kind of stomach her experiences of um otherworldliness uh-huh, and, uh, uh-huh. you know yeah. that's not the right word yeah. maybe but yeah. um, mysticism
1: yes yes yeah that's the thing about her is is people um people have the impression that she's very otherworldly but she was this yeah she was this monastery planter she was just very earthy i mean so she lived in probably one of the most patriarchal cultures of in all the world from time immemorial right mm-hmm. and yet she was this kind of fierce proto-feminist and hmm. uh, she had this, she had this really sort of subtle way of poking at her, um, um, you know, at, 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 the men who were kind of commissioned to read her work and to make sure it was okay. Her inquisitors. And so she's great. She's really, she's really feisty. I love her.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that yeah. answer. Um, what do you think history will remember us for in this time and place?
1: Oh, wow. Um. I mean, I, I think I'd have to say uh, that we lost our our saltiness and our light, you know, we lost our distinctiveness, that we became um, enmeshed with Christian nationalism, you know, yeah. became um, fiercely tribal, um, mm-hmm. that to be American and to be Christian for most was synonymous, you know, mm-hmm. that, that um, yeah, that we lost our real witness. I think that that will be... Um, the indictment on, on Christianity in this time, which is paradoxic. The, the paradox of that is that for so many, it feels like a time when they're regaining power. Right. Like right. this is a good moment for Christians. Right. So, yeah. Um, but, but I think is, as, as is often the case, Jesus will flip the script on us and say, you missed it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, you work obviously with a lot of, uh, I'm guessing younger students. Yes. Um, like what's the, what's the take from like, you know, 18, 20 somethings, I don't know, your, your students age. Yeah.
1: yeah. A lot of them are in their early twenties. Um, the students that tend, that I tend to work with are, um, probably center, center left, um, mm-hmm. by and large. that's no, not all of them, but I, um, but I, but I think that, uh, what, what's really interesting is that, um, what I'm finding is that they're more hopeful than I might've thought.
0: That's good. Uh, yeah, That's a, good. We I'm need it. i
1: kind of an embittered jet Xer, <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm trying to borrow some hope from them. Uh, because mm. when I think about, for instance, the climate crisis, I think yeah. we've we done. Uh, yeah. we, we've, we've, uh, we've lost time, and and now for them, there's plenty of time. Uh, there's a whole lifetime to work on this, and so, um, they, they have the benefit of their that idealism that comes in your 20s, I guess. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was thinking like, uh, 2020, I graduated high school in 2000. Uh, and I was thinking, man, 20 years, how, how bitter and unhopeful I become.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Any guess uh, as we look into the future, I ask folks 500 years, if you don't want to go that far ahead and we don't have yeah. to, but yeah. in the future, what do you think Christianity might look like?
1: Um, We'll, we'll probably all live in the Midwest because there'll be no more coasts, you know, <laughs> um, the oceans yeah. will be at kind of the border of Indiana and uh, Colorado. No, I, I don't know. Um, What's Appal- what that? What are, the,
0: what are the East Coast mountains? The Appalachians will stop <laughs> Appalachians. it, right?
1: Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we're at this kind of um, mountain peak of power, you know, and I, I think that... I think we'll find ourselves a minority again. I I think we might actually look a lot more like the church of the first three centuries. Hmm. Um, And we, I think we might even embrace our minority status and rediscover our our saltiness and our light, you know? Um, So I, 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 it's interesting because that's, I think that's a fascinating question. I had a professor in seminary who talked about Christianity 500 years from now. We all freaked out. Like, no, but yeah. Jesus is supposed to come back in our lifetime. Like yeah. how narcissistic we are, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but I do think it's really wise to think about, yeah, 500 years from now. And I do think we'll look a lot more like we looked in the first centuries of the church.
0: Yeah. You didn't use those words, but I'm going to use them. Premillennialism, right? premillennial yeah. dispensationalism is narcissism. Yeah. Yes. Whoa, dropping some hot takes here right at the end. Yeah, right. That's great. a lot
1: common there, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, where can folks find out more about you?
1: Uh, probably the easiest way would be, I've got a website, chuckdegroat.net. Uh, I do some blogging there, some information about me, some some of the things that I do, uh, what I've written, etc. cetera. Uh, I teach at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, learn a little bit more about me there. And I'm on... Uh, I'm on social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, uh, trying to keep my head above water um, in that crazy space.
0: Yeah, that's hard. That's hard on Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed yeah. the conversation and appreciate uh, your words.
1: Yeah. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for facilitating a good podcast.
0: Thank you. Well, yeah. I always leave my folks uh, guests with a word of peace. Uh, may So may God's peace be with you
1: and also with you.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit
1: future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It
0: really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.